you have a Bible this morning and you'll read with us, we're going to take a reading from the book of 1 John chapter 5. The book of 1 John chapter 5. Thank you. First John chapter five. <clears throat> and we're going to read from verse thirteen through verse fifteen. First John chapter five, looking at verse thirteen. It says this These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. That'll conclude our reading this morning. And um, we're going to take particular interest in verse 14 and verse 15 today um, of our scripture reading. And so please pray for me that the Lord will help us to bring out what may be needful for this time and hour. Um, it's been a long time since I've been hit so hard with a couple of verses of Scripture. Um, this whole week I've been somewhat, which is can be the case sometimes when you're preparing. Many of you have prepared lessons or uh, some of you ministers have prepared sermons and sometimes you just can't settle on something and you're... You're getting warm, but you're just not settling in on something. And um, yesterday I was reading and turned to this two verses, verse 14 and 15. And the Lord brought them to life. And you know that if you've read the scripture sometimes, there's a vast difference between reading something and understanding it and reading something and it coming to life. And um, this one came to life for me. And I hope the Lord today will help it to come to life for you. Um, when When the scriptures come to life, It is hard to overstate the profound impact that it can have on you. Because this morning I'm going to try to present something before you. And if it doesn't come to life for you, you can walk out of here and say, What? That, he was so emotional and moved by that, and it just seems so simple. To which you would be right. But simple truths brought to life by the Holy Spirit are life-altering truths. And 
at times, I strive so hard to ascertain meaning and project meaning before you that sometimes we lose the life that it can bring. And I pray this morning that God would open these things to you because I was talking to Kathleen about it last night, which I don't typically do. And I said to her, if these things are true, it changes a lot. Like if this is true, as he says it, it changes things in me, the way I see things. And I know them to be true because I know the word is inspired, but I mean true at a deeper level, you know, where you, you really grasp it. And I hope this morning I can try to present this before you today. I have titled a number of these sermons called Six Silent Sins. And I guess if I was to confront one of mine, it would be faithless prayers. Faithless prayers. Now, I want to point out a few things about this book before we get to this that I find adds to this truth. We read in verse 13 and then verse 15, and really a similar word in verse 14, but we read the word no, K-N-O-W. And that's a noteworthy word. And John, the apostle, as he's writing 1 John, he says the word no over and over and over and over again. I want to draw your attention to a couple of these if I can find them real quick. If you look at chapter 3, verse 14, he says this. We know that we have passed from death into life. Now, I want to pause for a moment and think about that for a minute. We can know that. If you've never had an experience where God has saved you and you hear this term salvation and you hear about being saved or being converted or whatever terminology that both the Bible and the Christian world use to express this event, I want you to know something that John tells us in that verse that you can be sure of. And that is you can know that you've been saved. Now, the implications of that are, are, are so many. Versus thinking you're saved and not knowing. He goes on and he tells us in verse 19 of that same chapter, chapter 3. And hereby we know that we are of the truth. We know this. Doubt is removed. Verse 24, here's another one that has some quite profound implications. And hereby we know that God abides in us. Whoa. We know this. Verse 2 of chapter 4, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Turn over to verse 6. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we 
the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's kind of a big deal. We can notice the difference. We can know and have a certainty. So in our digital world, more philosophies are spit out every minute than can possibly be comprehended. And it can obscure truth. And you can be drowning so much in whether it's religious theology or just philosophy and outlooks on life and everybody's got an opinion and 99% of them aren't worth hearing and yet it can obscure that there is any truth that you can be certain of and yet John says we can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That gives me a lot of hope. That encourages me that in this world drowning in error I can be certain of something. Verse 13, or let's see, verse 2 of the next chapter, chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And as John is ending this book, he tells us in verse 13, 14, 15, 19, and 20 more things that we can know. Now, I want to I talk a little bit more about that, about knowing something. John, in the very first verses of this book, tell us the type of knowledge that he's talking about. That this knowledge is a, a tra- one that transcends mental understanding. Notice what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Now, here's how I see him writing this. John is an old man at this point. Now, One of the benefits of aging is that if you are seeking to know God and know truth, that as you progress in life, you ought to become more certain of things, certain things. That when you're younger and you've not experienced things, both in this life, but also in regards to your walk with God, It's a very unnerving thing because you're walking through situations that you've never seen before. You are experiencing emotions that you've never felt before. You're confronted with stumbling blocks and people who oppose you and and circumstantial difficulties which you don't know what to do. And so it can be as we trod through this life, especially at an early age, it ought to be unnerving in some sense because so many things you're unfamiliar with, but yet as you grow and you age, you begin to see the seasonal and and that things come around almost in a circular fashion. That as the Ecclesiastes writer Solomon with all of his wisdom wrote that there's nothing new under the sun. That you begin to see personality types and trends and certain things come and go and certain spiritual obstacles that presented mighty difficulty to you when you were younger, both internally and externally. And yet when you have seen God's deliverance and his provision and his sufficiency through all of those changes and through all of those difficulties, it ought to, in in a, a, a state of more spiritual maturity, Cause you to have deeper roots that you know that whatever is occurring in this life, there are some things that are unmovable and unshakable. You ought to be more steady and solid 
And John, this old man, I believe one of the intents of his writing is try to take those roots that have caused him to have stability and say, you younger next generation can know this. You can count on this. Now, when I hear an older man who has weathered the storm say something like, well, you can know this to be true. I take great confidence in that. Especially if he's a man or a woman of character and understanding and wisdom. And so John begins to tell us all of these things we can know through the gospel of John in order to give us some grounding But he even goes deeper to express to us on the very onset the type of knowledge that he has. Listen to what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Don't you see here that John has this knowledge of what he's talking about. He's, I have touched God. He literally, with his hands, touched God. He heard him. He saw him. And think of the lifetime of things that John the Apostle has seen. He goes from being some random fisherman in Galilee. And he sees the Messiah come. And he sees endless miracles And he sees Jesus crucified. And he sees him rise again. And he sees the day of Pentecost. And he sees the rise of the early church. And he sees the persecution. And then he sees the greatest persecutor at that time, Paul, being converted. He sees the death of Stephen. He sees the Gentile world with the gospel spread all over the world. He sees the growth of those places. He sees the decline of individual churches that begin to struggle like those in Revelation and like uh, the church at Corinth. He has has been seeing each one of his cohorts, each one of the apostles, one by one, put to death a martyr's death and now he is this old man reflecting back and he's as he's recalling all of these things he's giving us these groundings and he's saying I have touched it I have felt it I know all of these things to be true and then that leads us to our scripture text this morning about one of the things that he knows it's this deep knowledge that To use the saying, he feels it in his bones. He knows it. And yet if what he's saying here is really true, it's life-changing. Nothing short of that. Because I want to put before you very often, what I think is, and I think one of the reasons why I gravitate towards studying and, and preaching on prayer is because there is something about it that eludes me. I don't know how to pray. Really. Like I'm not saying that as a sense of false humility. I really don't know how to pray. And I want to. I want to grasp prayer. In its real form. And when I, when I see and when I hear. When I even utter myself. Things about prayer. If I'm just being... <laughs> It feels shallow. Like our, our idea, our, 
our esteem of prayer just seems so silly and shallow. There just seems that, I'm not saying that personally to you, it just seems like as a culture that there's just something more to it. And I think some of it is rooted right here in what the Apostle John is telling us. Look at verse 14 of our scripture reading today. It says this, And this is the confidence that we have in Him. Now, when we pray, we can feel tempted to, how do I want to say this? My mind immediately, when I read this verse, went back to a story in the Old Testament of when Jacob wrestled with an angel of the Lord. And that... That story has always bothered me a little bit. I've always struggled with really getting the whole meaning of that. Because that concept, think of it like this. If, if I'm wrestling with somebody and I'm wanting to get something. Then it appears as though the opponent is preventing me from getting it. Right? And so very often whenever I begin to pray. And I'll tell you in a very personal sense where this prayer This mindset in prayer has a significant effect on me, and I wish it didn't to the degree that it does. I I have a lot of anxiety over what to bring before you preaching every week. A lot. What to bring. There's so much. And for me, the most difficult thing about preaching is to be certain this is what needs to be brought. And... So Satan has created this picture in my mind that there's a sermon up in heaven and I've got to wrestle God to get it. And so in one sense, Satan, the great deceiver, has made God my enemy. That I have to do certain things and maneuver certain ways in order to in essence, conquer whatever it is he's wanting me to, that I might ascertain what is laid up for me. And so that's the type of wrestling. And that story of Jacob seemed to just reiterate that. Of I've got to wrestle. And yet there's something about that that does not seem right. That it does not seem consistent with the scriptures that God is withholding something from me in this I don't even know how to describe the fashion that I conceive it in my mind. This selfish, I don't want you to have something because I just want you to feel pain. And so, I really began to meditate upon that. Well, then what other type of wrestling is there? And I'll give you the only example that can quickly come to my mind, although there's sure many others. The other day, Brother Steve and I were looking, this has been a couple months back, we were looking at, some things the church is going through, a budget. And, and he had written down a first draft and sent it to me. And, and I kind of made a little comments. And then he made a second draft. And he and I both made a few comments. And then a third draft. And so finally, emails were not sufficient. So I picked him up and I called him. And we, we talked for like two hours and 18 minutes and 46 seconds. That's what the phone said at least, okay? And... Uh, we went line by line. And 80% of things we agreed on. 
and 20% of them we didn't agree on. And so we began to wrestle. And I would say, well, I think we need to change this. That's just my opinion, but I think in your proposal, this is what you need to change. He said, no, I don't think so. And he would say, why? And then I would say, well, here's why I disagree with your why. And then he would say, well, here's why I disagree with your comment to my why. Right? And then we would go back and forth. But the intent of the wrestling wasn't that either of us was trying to keep something from one another. It's that we both desired the same exact thing. We both desperately desired the same exact thing. And in my dialogue with him, I had no suspicion that he had any selfish intent whatsoever. And I hope and believe and suspect he didn't think that on my end. And that trust allowed us to wrestle over and over and over for over two hours on the phone wrestling about this important subject. And in the end, after all the wrestling, and sometimes concessions on my part, and sometimes concessions on his part, and then some, sometimes ideas that would come up unbeknownst to either of us when we first started, we came up with the product that we desired the most. And I began to think of that analogy as it relates to me praying with God. Because if you read in verse 13 and 14, it seems as though there's something that he's basically saying, we know that God hears us, and if he hears us, he's going to answer us. And so then the question would be, why wouldn't God, if the first time that I bow down in prayer, if I'm praying something according to his will, why wouldn't he just say, okay, here you go. Here's what you wanted. Here's what you asked for. Here you go. But let me ask you this question. What if you and God want the same object at the end, but the means to get there you differ on? Like, what if you want, let's say, the salvation of your child? And being in that position where I have that desire, it's a very insecure feeling, isn't it, for you parents that have children that are lost? I want that insecurity to be over now. I don't want to wait another minute. And when I hear of things like my wife's friend went through, I can allow anxiety to, anxiety to take me to deep, dark places, projecting the possibilities of what could happen. And so I come to God and I bow in prayer and I say, Lord, will you heighten conviction on our lost people? Will you allow them to come to you in humility and honesty? Will you allow things to uh, unfold in their life today that will bring about their salvation? And I pray and I, I wrestle. And God wants something different. Let me rephrase that. God wants the same thing but he's going to take a different path to get there. And so much of my praying is me surrendering to him these narrow means by which I want to get what I'm praying for. He's requiring of me to sacrifice and give up. Okay, if it's not this way, Lord, if you're going to use something else to convict him, I will surrender my desire to your will. Here, 
Notice in verse 14 that the confidence is ultimately rooted in God's character. And we have confidence in, this is what it says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him. You know, uncertainty, so many things I'd like to say this morning. Pray that I'll say what needs to be said. Uncertainty is a terrible thing. It's, it's a terrible thing. And the implications of uncertainty are, are too many to count. Here's another example. It's maybe a, a crude one, but this is the one that came to my mind. If, let's, let's say, for example, that uh, somebody didn't trust their spouse at all. They didn't have faith in the character of their spouse. Just that one quality, lacking trust in that person, would have untold implications in your life. You might be afraid to be away from them because you might think they'll be unfaithful. You might be afraid to give them access to your bank account because... They might abuse it. You might not trust, and I could go on and on and on and on with areas that it would deeply impact you. When they want to go out with their friends, you might be suspicious that they have some different intent. All it takes is lacking confidence, trust in that one person to have untold not only logistical problems, but mental anguish that it would cause you that would likely become controlling. And that's just if you couldn't trust them to be faithful. What if you didn't trust that they would sacrifice for you? So something different. Then in the end, they were always out for themselves. Would that not alter the decisions you make in life quite significantly? Because in one sense, you've got to look out for you now. Because your spouse is most concerned with them. And the day-to-day and hour-by-hour decisions that it would impact are difficult to express. So let me ask you this question. When we pray and we lack faith... That God hears us and answers us. What do you think the implications of that lack of faith are on our prayer life? Like if, if, if Satan has convinced us that it's like rolling the dice that God will hear us. Then maybe he won't. Maybe he will. And so let's all cross our fingers Let's all try to get as many people as we can to be as loud as we can in hopes that, drumming up all of that, maybe God will hear us. If that is, because I'll I'll be honest with you this morning, very often my sinful nature creates that picture. That I know something different in my mind. But what often feels to be true And how I act towards my prayer life is that I'm crossing my fingers and hope this time God will listen and respond. And yet this verse takes all of that out of it. It says we have this confidence in him. So, because of his character, 
and how good that it is, we know what he's about to say is true. It's not based on circumstance. It's not based upon anything outside of the purity and goodness and perfection of his character. So then what is that truth? Here's what he says. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, that according to his will. To some, that would seem like, I'm going to give you this present and I'm going to take half of it back. Because what you might like it to say is, if we ask anything, he will hear us. Let's be careful what we wish for. We don't want that to be the case. Think of it like this. Somebody appeared to you and said, I'll give you anything you want, as much as you want. Take a week, think about all the things that you want. There's no limit to it. What you would likely do is you'd go home and you'd, you'd write out a really long list. And then you'd, you'd run out of things and you'd Google things and you'd do every other thing. And then you'd call people and you'd ask, what are things that I should want that I'm not even thinking about? And so finally, when you had your 10-page list and you handed it to that person and you were given it all, I'm not going to say likely, I'm going to say it's certain that there are going to be a lot of things that you ask for that are going to be much more a detriment to you than a help to you. Because you didn't realize how much having those things were going to change you. We're going to change the way you look at life and the way that you live and the desires of your heart that you have. And suddenly you are changing because of those things. But now imagine somebody came to you and said, yes, make that list and I will give you everything that is in your best welfare. That's what God is saying. I will, you ask anything. Now, I couldn't help but notice in verse 14 and verse 15 that he said the words, if we ask anything, and in verse 15, Whatsoever we ask. So anything and whatsoever we ask. Those are limitless words. And he's saying, if you ask anything, and it's according to my will, and God's will is meant for his glory and our good both, I don't want him to give me something that I really want that's going to hurt me. I don't want it. And I recognize about my finite, temporary sight condition that there are a lot of things that I bring before him that I say I want, that I have no idea what I'm asking for. And this morning, I'm not ashamed to say in my ignorance, I want God in his wisdom to say, I know you're asking for it. I know you're even pleading for it. I know in your mind you have reasoned in every possible way that this is what is best for you. But despite all of your reasoning and all the advice you've gotten from other people and all the circumstance that you can see from your angle, I am not going to give you that because I know what you need. And I am going to withhold as painful it is for you in the moment. I am withholding this for your eternal good. Why? Because we have confidence in him. In his character. So what does that do to me? Well, 
first says, I know that he will hear me. It makes me want to pray more right now, to be honest with you. If I know the things that I'm asking are within his will, I know he hears me. That, the Lord just spoke to me with that, you know? Like the fact that God, so much different than what I often in my sinful mind portray God is, is I'm just throwing prayers up and I hope they get heard. No. I have confidence because of him. He hears me. But then it doesn't stop there. It continues and it says this. And if we know that he hears us. So I think of this as like he's got three parts here and he's connecting them. We ask anything according to his will. He hears us. That's step one. Leads us to the hearing part. And if he hears us, it leads to the final logical conclusion. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So then if he hears us, those things according to his will, we know he will give us those petitions. So I told Kathleen last night, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I feel the need to. And I I really mean I'm embarrassed to admit this. I've had one prayer that I prayed for seven years. There's one prayer request that I, the Lord, through a series of things, and I've shared this with some of you privately, some scripture that the Lord enlivened in my heart, and, and I kind of wanted to put the Lord to the test, and I say that very carefully. I wasn't trying to tempt the Lord, but I wanted to see if this was true. And so, I think it was Mark eleven twenty four. You can go read it for yourself. I think that's the verse. And it is very similar to this verse. If you pray and you believe, God will give you the desires of your heart. And so I thought, well, do I know that to be true? Because there are some things that Satan convinces me when I pray for them that the answer was mere coincidence. Like I did pray for it, but it just kind of coincidentally happened anyway. That one did not cause the other. And if you're like me, that's something that Satan uses very often to diminish the value of my prayers. Is he just says, well, it just kind of happened. And so my prayer life is never encouraged because I never feel like I see the fruits of my prayer life. I always just think, well, I did pray for that, but I'm so insignificant before God, there's no way that my prayers actually made a difference in this event. It was just coincidence. And so, one day I began to pray and I said, Lord, here's the desire of my heart. I'm not going to share with you what it is because it would take some explanation. But I said, Lord, here's a desire that I have. And as long as it takes, I'm going to pray for that desire. And so about two and a half years later, about three and a half years later, I thought it was being answered. And I was so excited about it. And Kathleen knew about this prayer request. She was the only one. And it was beginning to be a great encouragement to our faith. And then that desire did not, was not delivered to us. 
And you talk about sinking into a deep abyss of unbelief. It just, it, it daggered my heart. For months and months and months, it hurt. Yet, through the whole time, that was my prayer. Lord. And so, then there became opportunities for that prayer to be answered by my own will. Or in other words, I could force it to happen. And as I would pray about it, God would say, no. And I didn't pray it every day. I didn't pray it even necessarily every week. But very often, all I would say to the Lord is, Lord, you know that thing that's in my heart. Please. When it's your time, when it's right. Please. That's the desire of my heart. I remember exactly where I was at when he answered it. And it had such an impact on my life. Because I had never, to my remembrance, ever ceaselessly prayed for something. And gone through the valleys of disappointment. Gone through all the anticipations. And then finally, after a prolonged period of time, seeing God answer what I knew to be that prayer. There was no doubt in my mind that it was coincidence. And God, the way he answered it, made sure to assure me in the way that he answered it, it was not coincidence and it was not of my own doing. That it was purely him. And I say, I tell you that story today very shamefully because that's happened in my life once. One time. I was reading this verse yesterday. And it's like the Lord asked me, had you forgotten what I did? Have you forgotten that? Are you going to continue to utter up faithless prayers? That you don't really believe that my character will answer the pleas that are in accordance with my will. Then I was telling Kathleen last night as we were sitting on the bed, I said, if this is true... Like, it, it, it has so many effects. Like, number one, doesn't it make you want to pray? If you know, if you have confidence, if you, full assurance, you really, and, and they're no longer Bible verses that you just read that are stuck on a page, but they're truths that are embodied in your heart. You know God will answer anything you ask him according to his will. He will give it to you, and you have confidence of that. Doesn't that make you want to go before him and pour it all out and say, Lord, this and this and this and this and this and this. As I think and I look over all of you in this congregation, there are so many requests. There are so many things. This week I met with one of your family members that's not in church. And I was eating dinner. Wanted so badly from them to be in church. You want to know about God's will? That they're in church. 
I can be certain of that. There's no doubt in me that, and the longer I talked to the person, the more I recognized they knew it was God's will that they be in the right place. And God has given us certainty if we pray with faith. I think of the book of James. It says this. When we're in the middle of trials and persecution, we ask God for wisdom to deliver us. He says to ask it, and God gives it generously without rebuke. So sometimes our kid will come to us, and it's usually on a Sunday because many of you fill them up with candy. Right? And then Sunday afternoon they come and they say, can we please have some candy of some sort? And at first, Kathleen and I give them a gentle no. And then a lot of times they come back and we rebuke them. And we recall to them all the things that they have had that day. You see, so that's when a request is met with a rebuke. In essence saying, well, you should know better. But he says, when you come to God in the midst of a trial and you need wisdom, God, his character, gives it generously without rebuke. He doesn't, because maybe it's even a created trial of your own, say, why are you asking wisdom? You got yourself into this. God doesn't do that. He gives wisdom generously. But then he puts an addition to that. He says, but when you ask, ask with faith. What he says, if any lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, it shall be given him. You'll get it. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, with no doubt. So when you pray, do you have a lot of doubt in your prayers? That's something only you and the Lord can answer. Are you throwing things up and just hoping that maybe one of them God will pluck out and say, well, yeah, okay, you've begged and groveled enough. I'll give it to you. Or is there a confidence not in yourself? Not that you have hit all the right bells and whistles in prayer, that you've made this perfect harmony to God, that He'll hear you because you're saying the right things and you're feeling the right things and you're acting the right ways. It's not because your confidence isn't in that. Your confidence is in who He is. And so you're coming before Him boldly. You're coming before Him with confidence that He'll receive you, that He'll hear you, And that bolsters your faith. He continues and he says, without any doubting. Remember whenever the disciples, they came before him. There's two different occasions where this happens. And they come before him. And at one point, when he's teaching them on forgiveness, they say, increase our faith. And he said, if you had this faith of a grain of a mustard seed. You could say to this, on one occasion he says this mountain another occasion, he says this mulberry tree, you could say it to be uprooted and moved. This morning, I suppose, if there's something that I could encourage you away from and something I could encourage you away, excuse me, towards, it would be this. God hears your prayers if you pray with faith according to his will. And he'll give you the desires that you pray for. And I have nothing to add to that statement. 
He'll give them to you. Did you hear me? He will give you what you ask for. So what stops us from asking like that? I would say the number one in our culture today is impatience. Impatience. I want it now. But what if the process of, you know, that process of praying that I went through for seven years changed me, changed my spiritual life for the better. And now on the backside of this, I can say I'm thankful for it. Because there was a lot of things I learned about myself. It's a lot of things I learned about the Lord. There's a lot of things I learned about prayer. There's a lot, whole lot. And I don't want it to be different. I don't wish that God on the first day that I had uttered it just answered me. I'm thankful that it took seven years. And it taught me things about God that I never would have known to be true had it not taken seven years to answer. Impatience. I want it now. Or, here's what Satan uses in my spiritual life. If I pray it and I pray it and I pray it and I pray it, it's not that not getting the answer deters me from keep praying it. It's that the trajectory of answering it doesn't improve. It actually gets worse. So think of it like this. If I'm praying for somebody to be healed, and this is a bad example, but it's the first one that comes to mind. And I pray for it, and I pray for it, and I pray for it, and then they get worse. Then I say, well, I might as well not pray anymore. Obviously, is isn't doing any good. Rather than being like David. Remember David, whenever God put a sentence on his son, he prayed that God would save his son, his life. He prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. God had a different will, and David accepted it. And the moment that he learned that God's will was different, he got up, he washed his face, and he went in, and he ate. But he prayed until the very moment that he knew it was done. I get impatient. Or I'm like James mentions here, and I'm going to begin to close. I just doubt, if I'm really honest, and I really dig down to the depth of what doesn't even seem to be conscious acknowledgments, but my actions show the condition of my heart. I just doubt God cares enough to do it. I just doubt Him. That He's not that good. Verse 7 of James told us this. A man who asks with doubt. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So, let me go back and reinterpret my prayer life. Maybe the reason that I have not received any of those requests that I'm asking for is because I don't really believe in the one who gives them. And that said, then you won't receive anything. This morning, I wish that I could express sufficiently the way that God has used these scriptures in my own heart and mind. I can't do that, but I can pray that the Holy Spirit would speak them to you. And if these things are true, and if they're shown to be true in your heart, to the extent that John knew them to be true, 
Here's what I think would happen. I think, A, you would pray a whole lot more, and I would too. Like, I think it would be the opposite of the problem that we often have today. The, op- the problem we often have today is we don't have time for prayer. And it's very often because we think it's this futile effort that doesn't really get anywhere because God's not going to hear us and answer us. So why spend so much time doing it if it's such a futile activity? But if the opposite was layered onto that, don't you think that you would have just want to pray all the time? Because I know him and I know he hears me and I know he's going to grant me the petitions that are according to his will. So I would just pray all the time, all the time. Wouldn't it make your prayers more sacred? Like if you know that God is hearing you, don't you think when you begin to pray, your words, your heart's condition, your mind would be much altered when you know God is hearing you? The God is hearing you. I think it would turn that interaction into a whole and then here's the last thing I'll say John said in 1 John 1 4 he wrote these things that your joy might be full don't you think rather than being so labored and burdened about the prayers don't you think that that burden would be turned to joy knowing that you had given those things to one who will answer according to his will to everyone that asks Like you now have this confident assurance. It's in his hands. I'm turning everything over to him. To me, the degree of faith that I have can often be measured with how tranquil my mind is amidst being burdened. When I really have faith in God, really believing And my circumstances have not changed at all. But my mind is at peace. Because I know Him. And now He's working things towards my good and the good of all those involved. This morning, I hope and I pray. I don't mean this in a shallow way. Please pray for my prayer life. Please pray for my prayer life. I want... That to be in here. And I believe if it is, or if it was, that would be manifested among us. Or in other words, we would receive a lot more of the things that our hearts desire. It's our message this morning. I hope, hope it would be a help to someone.